Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening today. I'm recording this from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening to us today. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection, and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. The podcast episode today is supported by Baker's Delight. And the podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to your individual circumstances. This podcast is for your information only. We advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking action. So onto our podcast today, a, a recent survey found that an amazing 75% of Australian parents rate their gut health as fair or poor. And as dietitians, we know that what we eat plays a huge role in the health of our gut. But what can we do to combat these increasing race, uh, rates of unhappy digestive systems? In today's podcast, we're joined by dietitian Nicole Dynan to explore the, the primary gut health concerns Australians experience and how we can help them improve these symptoms or maybe stop them altogether. Nicole Dynan is an accredited practicing dietitian, accredited sports dietitian, and founder and director of the Good Nutrition Company and Gut Health Dietitian. Nicole was inspired to start the gut health arm of her business after suffering allergies and food intolerances herself as a child and having the good fortune to complete her master's research project at the RPA Allergy Unit in Sydney. When Nicole established the business nine years ago, she had a simple goal, and that was to help navigate the science to, to help people navigate the science to fix their gut issues and feel happy and healthy again. Nicole's a guest lecturer for the University of Sydney, the University of New South Wales, and a media spokesperson for Dietitians Australia. So we've had you before, Nicole, on a DC podcast, and welcome back. Thanks, Jane. Great to be here. So I mentioned that um, you suffered food intolerances as a kid, but can you tell us a bit about um, your career journey as a dietitian so far and what led you to becoming the gut health dietitian? Sure thing. So, yes, all of that is true, a few issues um, as a kid, but I guess it wasn't really until I did my placement at the RPA Allergy Unit in Sydney um, that I really recognised the extent of the gut health problems in the community. And so when I started my private practice, I was really drawn to those clients and obviously, you know, all things food intolerance and gut health um, and just realised what a massive impact, you know, getting that diet right could make on someone's life. So, um, you know, I also majored in psychology, my first undergraduate degree at uh, university. So it's sort of um, was really satisfying to me to be dealing with these clients because often they'd come along with mental health conditions as well. And so two years in, I decided, you know, I really want to specialise in working with these people. So that's when I created the Gut Health Dietitian um, to try and attract the clients that I liked working with the most. 
Well, I think it was incredibly timely um, and, and a good decision when we see the interest in gut health um, over that period of time. And we've seen such a sharp increase in, in the community interest as well as the health professional um, interest in it. But in your practice, have you really seen an increase in gut health-related problems? And, and what impact does that have on, you know, you mentioned mental health, but what impact does it have on your clients' lives? Yes, 100%. I think, you know, our gut health dietitian practice is now 100% telehealth. Um, thank you, COVID. Um, and so over that period, we really saw a huge spike in the number of people reaching out for support with their gut-related issues and, and probably not surprising given that link with mental health and gut health. Um, but I guess in our experience, you know, gut-related issues impact so many areas of a client's life. So it's not just simple things like bloating and, you know, feeling uncomfortable in their clothes and all of that, but it is really you know, the fatigue, you know, the overall sense of well-being, the mental health, the anxiety, um, you know, and probably all to do with, you know, that gut-brain connection. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, because it's such a, you know, I guess vague in some ways symptoms that people experience and you might consider that they're low level, but they do have such an impact. And, and what, you know, in your experience, what are the primary gut health concerns that you see facing Australians? Um, well, when they come in, it's usually because, you know, of bloating or maybe they've got, um, you know, diarrhoea or constipation or pain is a big one. Um, and we also see nausea quite a bit. But I think, yeah, like you alluded to, just that um, sense of well-being is, is low. The fatigue is a big thing as well. And often when they're sitting in front of you, you can just really see that palpable anxiety. Um, wow. You know, they're really kind of a bit edgy. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of those, those kind of symptoms that are um, part of the concerns facing people. And do we have any data or research that speaks to the gut health of Australians? Well, um, actually, the CSIRO just conducted a community gut health survey um, that was just in June this year, uh, and their findings really did match what we're seeing in practice. So the study was conducted in Australian parents, so the average age was 28 to 55, um, sorry, the average being around 42 years of age. And most of those patients were actually female. So that's another thing that we see in practice as well. The majority of people that we're seeing are female. Um, and in your introduction, I think you mentioned, you know, that significant statistic, you know, 77% 77, 77 of those people rate their gut health as poor or fair. Um, and that's really astounding. Like that's three quarters of the people that participated in that survey are saying that they've got really poor or fair gut health, and that's just absolutely, you know, devastating. Um, <clears throat> so some of the most commonly reported symptoms were bloating. So 86% said they had bloating, followed by abdominal pain, 64% of people, and over half of them reported abnormal bowel movements, so 57% diarrhoea and 50% constipation. Um, and then the fatigue that I've been talking about, that was actually a feature of this study as well. So nine in 10 people reported gut symptoms other than non-gut, uh, reported symptoms other than non-GI symptoms, such as fatigue, anxiety, and food sensitivities as well. That They are really staggering figures, aren't they? I mean, so yeah. when you're walking down the street, just about everyone you're looking at is probably facing some kind of discomfort 
or gut health symptoms. I mean, that's... 100%, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I often joke that I can find a gut symptom in anyone, you know, so <laughs> it's really true. So so how how are people managing um, these, these concerns that they're having or these symptoms that they're having? You know, are the sort of the common management strategies that people use effective? Well, from that study, the interesting thing was only 58% or so were actively trying to manage their symptoms. So I think that speaks a lot to the fact that people just accept it as their normal. You know, they just accept that they're bloated all the time or, or you know, their bowel movements aren't right. Um, and those that do try to manage it, they remove perceived problem food so that's their first strategy is pulling things out of the diet so they so they may have heard of FODMAPs um, with IBS so they start pulling out all the FODMAP foods I've seen patients that have been on a low FODMAP diet for over two years which is just devastating Um, or they pull out gluten um, and dairy because they're you know obviously common things that are um, spoken about in the media um, or alcohol Um, and they might be trying to fix it by adding you know these um, perceived beneficial foods like um, drinks like kombucha or something or supplements like probiotic supplements often um, or even adjusting their physical activity Um, but most often you know six out of ten people in that survey indicated disappointment with the outcomes of the strategy they were trying so you know often we we see these clients after they have you know tried a lot of self-management approaches and it's usually avoiding those key food groups or buying into fad diets or detoxes and things like that as well and it usually leads to a really restrictive diet um, and worsening symptoms to be honest at the end of the day yeah so you're actually um trying to sort of get them back on track when they've already gone down a path of restrictions or ineffective kind of um, interventions in their own health. Correct, yeah. Often we're adding things back into the diet because the gut gets very used to whatever you're you're giving it. So, um, yeah, so sometimes there's very little room to move in terms of pulling anything else yeah. out of the diet. Yeah, so... So where do people go, if, you know, you say they're, they're coming to you having tried a range of strategies, where do they go to, to look for advice and, and what can we as dietitians do to try and improve this advice that they're getting and, and solve those sort of fix those misconceptions? Well, I think most people are sort of looking for advice online. You know, Dr. Google is a wonderful thing um, and it just leads them down this slippery unscientifically proven path most often so I really feel like dietitians can heighten their voice in this space and there's so much room for dietitians here um, to try and dispel myths and and misinformation and really position themselves as experts in in this area Um, so a few ways could be just by doing some myth busting posts like we're currently doing that at the moment on Instagram um, you know, snack size tutorials on hot topics. So just trying to keep on top of what the latest things people are trying for their gut health. So I think, um, you know, this internal shower with chia seeds is a recent one. Um, yeah. I had missed that one. I don't oh, know what I've been one. watching. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a, that's a, uh, a goodie um, from the point of view that <laughs> it's everywhere. Mm. Um And I think, too, just providing closer support to help our patients navigate, you know, the chosen approach that they're they're, um, working on with you. So, 
you know, providing packages that allow for email contact in between consultations because I personally find that a lot of these dietitians, they, a lot of these patients rather, need that extra support. Sometimes they just want to ask a simple question. Mm. It can be the difference between them being successful on the approach that you've decided on together or, or unsuccessful. So um, being able to be in closer contact with you I think is good. Um, and then just helping patients navigate, you know, the food and supplement landscape and provide recommendations for credible products, both pre and probiotic products, I think um, is also really important um, as a role for us. Yeah, we really want dietitians to be the first port of call, don't we, rather than um, the last port of call after everything else hasn't worked that, that they've tried themselves. Um so, so the you talked a bit about some of the restrictions that people put in place, and there's not much room to move. But um, what do you actually see as the impact of those, you know, um, self-prescribed strategies on their nutrition, and, and how can dietitians help their clients in this space? Well, I think you know, dietitians really can take that role of the expert in the the gut health space and support some of those key nutrition messages that have maybe been difficult for you know patients to swallow. Pardon the pun in the past. So, you know, how long have we been beating the drum about eating more veg? <laughs> yep. um, and it's just falling on deaf ears. Whereas if we sort of change that message to be, you know. Um, Eating, eating more plants, eating a variety of plants can feed your bacteria and help you feel more energetic um, and <laughs> have better overall health, they might be a little bit more motivated yeah. to do that. Um, and I think also we can just provide them with really simple swaps. You know, people are time poor. They, they don't want complicated strategies. So it might just be as much of, you know, when, when you go shopping, swap your white bread or your fluffy wholemeal bread for a dense whole grain bread, um, you know, choose one new fruit, one new veg, add it to your shop each week. It can be frozen veg as well. You know, we've got to take into account the economic climate. Um, and I think the more dietitians that lead into, lean into this space, the more likely we are to be able to position ourselves as experts in this field if people are, you know, hearing this message um, from, you know, more than one dietitian. Yeah, and you're right. I think the the gut health and potentially even the mental health aspect um, that you can bring when you try and get people to eat more fruit and veg is much more powerful than just, oh, it's good for your health, eat more fruit and veg. You know, yeah. as you say, it's a bit stale, the message, isn't it, after all these yeah, years? 100%. <laughs> um, so we've also heard a lot more sort of recently, you know, probiotics have been big for quite some time now, but we've heard a lot more recently about prebiotics. Yeah. Um, how do you, and that is something that people potentially will cut out if they go onto these low FODMAP diets or um, some of their self-imposed restrictions. How do you educate your um, clients on foods that contain prebiotics? Um, well, I guess the first place I start is just by checking their understanding um, and where they're at now with you know, um, their nutrition literacy, their fibre literacy, and maybe, you know, what what they like to eat, their food preferences, what they've tried in the past, that kind of thing. Um, and if they haven't really been, um, you know, too educated about prebiotics or even fibre, 
I would just start gradually, um, start moving them gradually and gently into eating more fibre because obviously we need to go slowly with that. Um, and then I would educate them on prebiotics as, you know, they're starting to feel better and, and then how to include more prebiotics into their diet um, in addition to just, you know, generally increasing their fibre. Because I think if we just focus on the increased fibre in the diet, we, we could be missing a lot of prebiotic foods in that. So, um, yes, fibre is generally important, but I think it's important to also educate them on those prebiotic types of fibre as well. And do we have any um, recommendations currently around frequency or quantity of prebiotics in the diet? And then how do you balance that for people that are living with IBS that have potentially cut out some prebiotic sources of fibre? Yeah, so really great questions. Um, unfortunately, at present, there's no official um, dietary recommendations or adequate intake recommended um, daily allowance for prebiotics. Um, but if we looked at sort of consumption patterns generally in the Western world, they estimate them to be about 2 to 11 grams of prebiotic inulin per day. Um, and, you know, I guess what we know is that the gut requires a dose of at least three grams per day to confer a, a benefit or elicit, elicit a bifidogenic effect. So that would be things like, you know, wheat bran, 2.5 grams per 100 grams um, of prebiotic, um, raw onion, 4.3 grams per 100 grams, and then the star of the show, chicory root, 41.6 grams per 100 grams. Which, of course, we're all eating plenty of chicory <laughs> root. But this is the issue because a lot of the, a lot of the um, foods that do have those high amounts aren't commonly consumed foods. So, mm. you know, we want to be trying to um, encourage people to eat broadly to try and hit on them. Um, but really sometimes larger doses up to 20 grams a day can be necessary to um, facilitate certain health outcomes like weight loss or improve glycemic control. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I think um, as a starting point, you know, recommending that clients consume a diet high in fibre um, and in prebiotic-containing foods like onion, garlic, bananas, whole wheat, asparagus, for example, is a reasonable pro approach to start with. And then um, also just letting them know that there's some new prebiotic-enriched everyday foods like breads coming onto the market, and that's going to make it easier for everybody just to increase their intake over time. So um, with your question around people with IBS, uh, that that's a really important question, particularly with the patients that, that we're seeing because we want to be able to settle down their symptoms that, of course, feed their gut bacteria with prebiotics. Um, so a couple of things I would suggest would be choosing prebiotic foods that are higher in resistant starch. So, And that's because the resistant starch prebiotic feeds selectively just the good bacteria in the gut oh, wow. rather than everything that's there, um, so less likely to cause issues. So things like cooked and cooled starchy foods like potatoes, rice, pasta, underripe bananas, uh, raw oats, legumes, for example. Um, the second thing I would recommend is choosing polyphenol-rich prebiotics like tea or berries, chocolate. They like that. Extra virgin olive oil. Yep. <laughs> um, and then using the Monash Low FODMAP app as well. I think there's, you know, lots of places we can utilise that app in practice 
And that's just even just to search tolerable amounts of prebiotic-rich foods. So, for example, you know, cashews are high in, in FODMAPs, but activated cashews are really well tolerated at 15 grams. Um, and just even the amounts of legumes, like a quarter of a cup of canned brown lentils or canned chickpeas, uh, rinsed really well, are tolerated quite well by most people. So there is ways to get it in, um, you know, with a little bit of creativity. And 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 expertise, expert guidance. And I think, you know, what you've just described there is exactly why dietitians can give so much value to these clients because yeah. these this sort of information is hard to find, isn't it, to the practical information of, of prebiotics and the combination of fibres and how you can adapt your diet to, to include it even if you've got some restrictions. So I think dietitians have so much to offer um, in this space. Oh, I 100% agree. Like even just um, simply going on a low FODMAP diet, a lot of patients will come in saying that their doctor told them to do it but they're just overwhelmed with the amount of information and knowing where to start. So they come in for that hand-holding. Yeah, which is completely yeah. understandable. Yeah. yeah um, so just we will just touch on probiotics because I don't think we can talk about at all about um, fibre and gut health without mentioning probiotics. Um, so, you know, we've hom- commonly heard the phrase bandied about that not all probiotics are equal and action and qualities are strain-specific. Can you give us a few practical tips or low down on probiotics? Sure thing. And I know, you know, you and I have spoken about this yeah. in the past, but I guess it all really comes down to strain with probiotics. So if we think that, you know, probiotics are known by genus, species and strain, so that would be the genus Lactobacillus, the species Acidophilus and the strain might be ABC. So the strain designation is really important because um different strains of the same species can have different health effects. So um, Jason Horolek, um, absolutely love his analogy with dogs. Um, so, for example, the genus in dogs is Canis. The species, so Familiaris is dog, Lupus is wolves, and Latrans is coyotes. And the strain is really the breed, so German Shepherd, Poodle, Pug, etc. So... Um, in practice, I don't know if other dietitians find this, but I often find that, you know, a patient will come in saying, oh, I'm taking a probiotic and I'll ask, you know, which one are you taking? And they'll just say, oh, my doctor told me to get one that's just got lots of strains in it. So I've just got a multi sort of probiotic strain product. Um, and it, and that unfortunately doesn't necessarily you know, guarantee any health benefit. Um, so I'll often ask them if they're feeling any better or different on it. Most of the time they'll say no. <laughs> yeah. um, on, on the odd occasion they might say yes. So I think that's probably the, the test um, from a very generic perspective. If they're feeling better, fantastic, keep going. If you're not, then really um, I refer them to that ISAP website, the International Scientific Association for Probiotics and Prebiotics, and that information relies on the US Probiotic Guide table for guidance. And I think that's really one of the best ways we can support our patients to find the specific strains or combinations that may indeed suit their health concern. Um, And for practitioners, the Probiotic Institute website is one that I often talk about and it has some great information on rigorously studied strains. So that's where I direct people. 
And I, I, I do really, I also really like that dog analogy because it's like saying, you know, if you went to your vet and said, I think I should get a dog, what sort should I get? And they said, get a canus. That's yeah. not very helpful, is it? I mean, you really <laughs> rather they suggest a poodle. Yeah. So um, uh, that, that is a really effective analogy. Um, so and those, um, the ISAP and the Probiotic Institute, we'll put uh, links to those in our show notes so that um, anyone who's listening and wants to go and have a uh, closer look at those um, can just um, check out the show notes for this podcast. So um, this has been a really good overview. So, Nicole, just like in a nutshell to encapsulate it, what are the sort of key things that you want dietitians to take away from our discussion today? Um, I probably think there's three things that I would focus on. So the first is that the gut health space um, is evolving, it's exciting, and I think dietitians can own this space just by, you know, showing a bit of credibility and, you know, busting some of those myths out there with some science. Um, I think, you know, people really respond to that. The second thing is that only a subset of dietary fibre qualifies as prebiotics, um, but all fibre types have a role to play in good gut health. So um, I think, you know, just trying to generally get people eating more fibre, but also directing them and educating them on prebiotics is really important. And then also probably the most important thing is knowing some pre and probiotic products or foods that you can um, direct your clients to because I think the easier we can make that client experience, you know, the more likely they are to reap some health rewards from that um, because they can just go to the shop. They know exactly what they're looking for um, if you can show them a picture of the product that you want them to try. Um, so knowing knowing your pre and probiotic foods I think is key. Yeah, so dietitians, basically, there's nothing to stop you. Go forth and conquer this area um, and become the first stop for anyone who's who's facing gut health issues. So, look, thanks so much for your time today, Nicole, as usual. Um, it was really, really insightful and nice practical advice, um, I think, for, for dietitians who are seeing these sorts of clients because it's a complex and rapidly evolving area. So, as I mentioned, we'll add the link um, to the resources that you mentioned um, in the show notes. And we'll also have a link to the results of that community gut health survey that you mentioned. And Great. thanks um, so much to Baker's Delight for supporting today's podcast. Uh, Baker's Delight have a, a variety of bread offerings with nutritious and functional benefits, including their recently launched prebiotic cape seed loaf containing those fibrous whole grains that we mentioned. So have a look at the show notes, see the resources. And Nicole, thank you very much again for your time today. Thanks so much, Jane. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.